this week it's just Holly and we're here to talk about biodynamic wine and the zero waste movement. So if you haven't caught up with us recently, we did rebrand. Um, Through the Grapevine is now Misa Natural Wine and we're really excited about it because with our rebrand we're able to add in a bunch of additional partners and uh, some of those are in the realm of sustainability which is something that Nick and I have always been personally very passionate about and are excited to integrate into our company because what's the point of having your own company if you can't do what you want with it as Nick would say. Um, Nick is on a trip so I'm going to walk you guys through uh, the topic of basically the intersection of the zero waste movement and natural winemaking and why it's a pairing made in sustainable heaven. So let's get started. If you are unfamiliar with either natural wine or the zero waste movement, um, natural wine is basically wine made without anything added or taken away from it. And we'll talk about that a bunch more, so I won't focus on it too much at this moment. But uh, the zero waste movement is something that we personally uh, try to achieve. Obviously, no one is ever getting to the point of fully zero waste. The economy and world is not set up for it. But the goal of it is basically to uh, use the five R's. And those five R's are refuse, reduce, reuse, recycle, and rot. Rot means compost. I was wondering about that one initially. It doesn't sound as nice, but it's nice to have five R's. Um, And the point around that is basically that recycling, not everything actually gets recycled when you're able to uh, put it in the bin. So you're best off basically having that as your last resort and in the meantime doing any of the other things like refusing or reusing uh, so that you are essentially minimizing the footprint, your uh, personal footprint. So some of those things include, you know, we try to avoid single-use plastics. Um, We think about our carbon output and uh, do things like carbon offsets for the company and for plane travel, things like that. And then we'd basically try to uh, use as much as possible things that can be recycled and keep the same integrity. So for example, glass and aluminum, they don't lose any of their integrity and they can be reused again and again as bottles or whatever they're being used for versus plastic over time will just no longer be usable. Um, And then we obviously also like to compost because if you don't compost, then it goes into the trash and it produces a lot of gases that we don't want out there. So if you're not uh, familiar with the zero waste movement, that's a general overview. And uh, I have linked some of my favorite resources at the bottom of our blog. So you can check that out in the link. So now let's talk about why zero waste and natural wine go perfectly together. (laughs) Um, So in natural wine, there's obviously two different ways, uh, two different things that have to happen to create the wine. First is the grapes have to be grown. And the second, it needs to go to the winery and uh, actually turn into wine. So the reason that natural wine and zero waste work really well together is because a lot of the practices that natural winemakers and specifically biodynamic producers use um, really embody a lot of those R's that we just talked about and uh, yeah, just kind of have a lot of the same belief systems around sustainability. So I want to just kind of talk through a few different areas in the vines and in the winery where that is relevant um, and point out a couple of important pieces for zero wasters on um, why when they're having alcoholic beverages, natural wine is probably the easiest way for them to go. So farming practices 
there's a couple different things that uh, happen in the vines that uh, can be more sustainable than they normally are in conventional winemaking. And we'll talk through dry farming, uh, things that are sprayed on the vines, and hand harvesting. So dry farming, very easy to describe. Uh, it's literally just not irrigating. Um, <laughs> there's a few other complexities to it, and I'm actually giving a speech on dry farming uh, in May at the Women in Wine Expo in Georgia, the country. So if you're a woman in wine, definitely check that out. Um, but the gist of it is that irrigation is no good. And we obviously did not used to irrigate um, in ancient times. Technically, there was a little bit in like with the Nile River Delta forever ago, um, but not nearly in the way that you're seeing it today. So dry farming is great for a couple of reasons. It's obviously better to not use all of that fresh water for watering vines um, because vines are actually meant and they want to struggle. So the point of a vine is that it can dig incredibly deep sometimes hundreds and hundreds of feet, maybe not hundreds and hundreds, probably like a hundred-ish feet down to find its water source. And in doing so, it's going through different types of rocks and it's literally adding complexity and different soil types um, to that vine. So in irrigating it, you're basically making it too easy for the vine. It doesn't need to grow deep because it's just getting fed from the top. So you're only really getting that topsoil contact. And if and when there is a drought, uh, you're going to have a bigger problem because the dry farmed vines are prepared for that and have been able to uh, dive deep enough that they'll still be able to survive versus those if you don't continue to really water the crap out of them uh, they'll just die <laughs> die on the vine you might say so dry farming great for the environment better for your wine moving on vine sprays so you guys you guys may have heard about the uh Traces of Roundup or a compound from Roundup found in several different famous brands of conventional wine. Um, and that's kind of how conventional winemaking works. You use a bunch of different chemicals um, that you can spray on the grapes based on what's happening so that they don't get sick and die, which, you know, is good. You don't want your grapes to die, but I also don't want to have a bunch of chemicals on them. So in natural winemaking, um, it's not like they don't spray anything on the vines at all. They just either use organic compounds um, if they're farming organically, or even cooler, if you're biodynamic, the whole goal is to have a functioning ecosystem in your vines. So what that means is they'll take uh, compost that they make from cow manure and um, different types of herbs and things that they grow uh, in that region, and then they'll basically make a compost out of that do some kind of interesting preparations. If you want to know more about it, uh, there's a book called Voodoo Vintners, and uh, the preparations are a bit interesting. Um, but then they basically take that compost, turn it into a spray, and then spray um, some of the best things that they've found and healthiest parts of the farm back onto the vines to kind of naturally protect them. Um, so that's biodynamics, and uh, that's kind of how the sprays work. Obviously, you know, the more we reuse uh, and create that like ecosystem, the better it is for the environment. Thus, good for zero waste people too. Then finally, we have hand harvesting when you're in the vineyard. So that's another very easy one. Literally, you are harvesting by hand. You don't have a giant um, 
tractor harvesting <laughs> machine that goes through the grapes and shakes them up and uh, gets whatever's on the vines into the bins. Um, and that's great for a couple of reasons. There's another famous article out there about how they supposedly found uh, fox residue or something from a fox in, uh, I don't know if it was two buck chuck or some wine. I don't know if it was actually true, but the point is when you hand harvest, um, you are able to control the quality of the grapes and not have the grapes start to smush themselves together and start fermentation early. Um, so hand harvesting is great for a ton of reasons. And, uh, on the sustainability side, obviously the idea of having giant tractors, pushing out gas uh, into the environment while also giving you less nice wine <laughs> is uh, is not as good. So that's in the vines. Um, like I said, there's a couple different ways that they're able to reuse what they have. Um, and the goal is to reduce, you know, don't use the water, re, uh, reuse the uh, things that you already found in your farm. All right, now let's move into the winery. So in the winery, there's also a few different things that have to happen for the wine to actually be created. Obviously, at this point, we just have grapes, and then a few different things need to happen to turn it into wine. So what needs to happen is you first press the wine, or sorry, press the grapes, and then that juice basically will eventually start a fermentation, which um, turns the grapes into wine. And we can do another podcast about exactly how all that happens, because there's a lot of technical elements and every grape's a little bit different like if it's red or white or you're trying to make a rosé um so but we won't we won't talk about that today the big things that we want to talk about today are that uh the process of how it's made is very different from conventional and natural wines so brief overview natural wines use native yeasts and spontaneous fermentation which we'll talk about in a second they also are typically unfined and unfiltered and uh, as a fun little added bonus, there's a lot of interesting things that natural winemakers are doing to reuse the grape musts and the grapes after uh, they're done. So, fun little tidbits we can throw in. All right, so let's talk about native yeast and spontaneous fermentation. Let's start with conventional winemaking and how that works, and then talk about how it differs from natural winemaking. So in conventional winemaking, what they do is they, instead of using the ambient and native yeasts, which are the yeasts that are found on the grapes from growing in the vines, whatever is present in the winery, literally like anything, <laughs> kind of sounds weird, but like even on, you know, like the winemaker themselves, that is uh, what natural winemakers use. And what, um, what conventional winemakers do is they kill off all of those yeasts and instead use what are called selected yeasts. And selected yeasts are um, made in a lab, and they basically are yeasts that create a wine instead of letting the wine uh, have its texture and the flavors that come from what I would consider, you know, it's terroir. Terroir, I would not say, is just the ground. It's also... Um, it's also, you know, what gets put on the grapes. Like, for example, in Martha's Vineyard, you'll say that you normally get eucalyptus on it. And that could be from the ground. It could also be from um, the wind blowing, you know, fumes of eucalyptus over the vines. Anyways, I don't want to get too in the weeds. But um, that's what they'll do. So instead of having the wine really expressing where it's from, they're more creating it. Um, and then obviously, you know, the impact... 
sorry. The impact of that is that more stuff is having to be made to make the wine when it's actually not necessary, um, which is not great because that is not reducing anything. And then the second part is that conventional winemakers will also heat up and cool down the vats so that the wine starts and stops fermentation when they want it to. So uh, natural winemakers will not do that. They will let the wine start when it wants and end when it wants. We met someone at um, Valterra a couple weeks ago that was telling us how his pet gnat got too cold in Germany um, and never finished fermenting. So he had to wait two years for it to finally finish its fermentation process. And it's delicious. So everything is in its own time. That's kind of a really extreme example. Um, But you're getting the best and truest expression of the wine and of the vintage uh, when you do practice it that way. And you're using less resources, like a lot of times they'll use water to cool those vats. So the amount of water that goes into making wine, even if it's not natural, or sorry, even if it is natural, is insane. And when it is not natural and it's conventionally made, uh, it would make you cry (laughs) if you look at the statistics around it. All right. So now you have your uh, wine. It is fermented. It is now alcohol. Now what? So the next thing uh, that's the difference between conventional and natural winemaking is the fact that natural wine is unfined and unfiltered. And a quick side note on this, if you are zero waste and also vegan, which I believe is a lot of y'all, it's really important that you know if your wine is fined or not, because the majority of wines are using things like fish bladders or egg whites to fine the wine. Uh, And what fining means is it's basically like all the little dancing particles inside the wine that are teeny tiny. Um, They'll use things like egg whites to basically latch on to those uh, and filter them out of the wine so that it becomes clear. It's not necessary. It's just like I think a hundred years ago or something, people just decided that they wanted their wine to be clear. (laughs) So they started filtering it out. It won't hurt you. There's nothing bad about it. Um, and yeah, and if you're vegan, then obviously you don't want to have wine that has had that happen. And on the other side, unfiltered, um, unfiltered is basically there's yeasts and other larger particles, uh, that are in the wine that you normally find at the bottom. And, um, natural winemakers will do something called racking where they basically just transfer the, uh, wine from one vessel to another to get rid of it, but they don't put it through an actual filtration system to get rid of it. That really can uh, mess with the complexity of the wine and it ends up making a less interesting wine because typically the longer it stays in contact with its yeasts and the different particles that are in it, uh, the more developed it can become and the more complex it is. So we're pro-unfined, pro-unfiltered. And again, if it's not going to hurt you. It's great to keep it in there. We're not trying to go through a bunch of extra steps uh, when it actually is creating a better wine in the first place. So those are the general ones that I would say pretty much all natural winemakers are doing. And then I have one extra one that's pretty fun um, that we know a couple of our friends are doing, at least in the U.S., um, probably here in Europe too. I should look into that. So there's a lot of fun things happening with reusing grapes and reusing the grape musts. Uh, and there's two examples for this. One is called Verjou, and Verjou literally is like uh, the uh, grapes that either fall off or typically are uh, clipped off early on in the harvest, or sorry, before harvest starts. So the grapes are really high in acid uh, and don't really have any sugar yet. And what they'll do with the Verjou is they will basically uh, press them to create a very tart juice, 
And uh, I believe Verju normally doesn't have alcohol in it, but I will say that Martha Stuman uh, has one that she calls Juju, and it's basically exactly this. It had 3.4% alcohol, and it's just like a delightfully tart, fruity drink. Um, and it's great because you're using all those grapes that otherwise would have just kind of rotted. Um, and then the other one is called Piquette. And Piquette was made famous by a winemaker in uh, New York recently. And I've seen them also doing it at Old Westminster in Maryland. And it's a really fun one. They basically uh, get to do a second pressing of the grape pomace. So when you press the wine, uh, it makes this giant like cake looking thing. Uh, and the first press is what they use to go make the grapes, but there's still, you know, stuff in there. So what they're able to do is they'll add some water to the uh, grape musts and pumice that's already there, and uh, they'll repress it, and then they'll normally get a really light in alcohol. I've seen it be like 5 to 8 or 9%, and it's typically a little bit fizzy, and it's called piquette. Both of these that I just described are um, basically like old traditional uh traditional French juices that the poor people that were doing the harvest would use instead of actually drinking the wine itself because they were able to get uh, more out of the wine. And it is perfectly suited for, you know, this transition that we're having right now where people want lighter alcohol beverages. Um, so Verjou and Piquette, really yummy and also great for the environment because we're reusing what we already have. So, that's my general take on why natural wine is great for the zero waste movement. Obviously, not everyone's doing all of these things, but in general, um, you know, when you're being thoughtful, which I feel like the zero waste movement, I will say from personal experience, if, it, if nothing else, it makes you incredibly thoughtful about every single purchase that you make, where it came from, what happened with it, uh, and what, what's going to happen throughout the entire life cycle. Where is it going to end up? So in that regard, natural wine is really a great um, addition or whatever, a great beverage to uh, drink and feel confident that it probably um, was made in a way that you would also agree with all the conditions around it um, are good. It's typically a tiny bit, well, that depends, it's typically more expensive than conventional wine um, because obviously, you know, everyone's getting paid a fair wage at smaller production, all the things that you really want. And then... It's great because you can recycle the bottles. So so the one issue that you can't really get around with natural wine or any wine is the fact that um, it doesn't always just grow right next to you. If you live in Spain, like we do, it's pretty great because, you know, it didn't have to travel very far to get to us. If you live in Napa, great. Um, but if you don't, if you live in most of the rest of the parts of the world, um, it's inevitable that that wine was on a boat and or a truck to get to you. And uh, there is obviously a carbon footprint involved with that. So for us, it's been a bummer because there's really no way around that. And it's always kind of bugged us. Um, but what you can do and what we are doing um, is we do offset the carbon footprint. Uh, we basically just measure, you know, how much uh, carbon footprint was created per bottle when it gets from the vineyard all the way to uh, the door. Since we do like direct delivery, uh, we know where it's going. So that allows us to basically just offset that, which, you know, is better than nothing. Um, and I think that, you know, that's the best we can really do at this point. Uh, it's a bummer that, you know, if you have something local, then that's great. Go find them, seek them out. Um, but if you don't, you know, there are other options. So that is our conclusion. If you are interested in learning more about zero waste and or natural wine, if you found this 
as is your oyster. Um, check out the blog. And at the bottom of the blog, I have several resources around natural wine, several resources around zero waste, um, as well as places where you can uh, find and buy it. I hope this was useful. Uh, If you hadn't heard of either of these things before, I hope that you are more interested in exploring zero waste and natural wine now. And I hope you guys have a good week. Thanks for bearing with me since I was all alone. Bye guys.